The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So it is episode two of our brand new interview series, The Head and Heart Work Conversations, and... This week's episode is with the phenomenal Virgie Tovar, who is like a, as you guys will know, find out, a internationally renowned weight-based discrimination lecturer and body positive champion. And yeah, I'm like so excited to air this episode. Yeah, for sure. This this interview was super fun. And I think it is really fun to be able to talk to somebody like Virgie, who is obviously super intelligent well-researched is sort of focusing on um, like the impact of um, weight-based discrimination and and how it, it's all planning out and like sort of knows that and is also just like really accessible, right? Oh and God, it's like so funny super and charming. funny and good to talk to. And I think, um, you know, when we're having these types of conversations about different systems of oppression and discrimination, it can feel really serious because mm -hmm. it is serious, right? Yeah. Like the implications of it are incredibly serious. Yes. Um, but being able to talk about it in a way that is like, yeah, it's really serious. And also we're, we're humans existing in it and we right. can still find ways to, to feel empowered and feel loved and Joyful. connect with each other. Yes. Right. Yeah. At the same time, um, I think it's just really affirming and it, 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 it 
I think it welcomes an idea of liberation that is like inclusive and exciting for for folks, right? Yeah. Like it's like, oh, we could be doing things so much differently. And it seems cool. Like it yeah, seems like yeah, a cool yeah, way yeah. to be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not all pain based. Yes, um, absolutely. Virgie reminds me a little bit of Brene Brown in that I think the reason why Brene is so successful is like her work is based in research Mm -hmm. and it's like this humanity based research, you know, about shame and and guilt and things like that. And Virgie is the same sort of scholar. You know, she backs up her work with, you know, years of research and also her lived experience and other fat activists. And um, I find that like really inciting and powerful um and i love listening to the results of that research and also the thing i think i appreciate most about virgie and this conversation and what i hope our listeners take from it is at least for me when i think about body body positivity um resources i often first think of like the instagrammable body positivity Mm. you know it's very white it's often like more thin, more, quote, average bodies, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? And it's it's all about, you know, giving ourselves permission to have back rolls and like, <laughs> right. you know, guess what? I have to tell you something. I have acne. You know, like it's, mm. it's these, while they're imper- important, it's these surface level, small acts of freedom, right? That we give ourselves permission to like have roles and give ourselves permission to have like bad skin or whatever, you know, but what I love about the conversations and the work that Virgie does and this conversation in particular is that Virgie pushes us to question like why we, why we need to give ourselves permission in the first place. Mm -hmm. Her work is so intersectional. Um, It's so, it's truly liberating. I think when we think about body positivity, it's not just saying I'm beautiful even though I'm fat, mm. it's saying fat is beautiful. Yeah. Who taught me that it wasn't? Who mm-hmm. and who is in power? Who be, who who likes to keep these feelings down? For you sure. know. Yeah, and I also just really appreciated that we got to have a really in depth conversation with her about dating. Yes, too, right? totally. Because I think that that um, is not always something that you might get from some of the activists that you might follow in other places, but like. We talked about what it is like to date as a fat person, right? right? Like, and what are the experiences of that? And what are some of the tools that that folks can use to sort of protect their peace from the awfulness, the commodification of dating, right? And the ways in which it is so transactional and it is so surface level. Um, And I just, I really appreciated not only that we talked about sort of the theory of like what a liberated world could look like, but also some of the like, here's a thing that you could try right now to help you mm-hmm. get in a different mindset about about body weight and about liberation and what that could look like. Yeah. So, so get ready to get in a different mindset. I'm so excited. With a conversation with Virgie Tovar. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week on Head and Heart Work Conversations, we're talking to Virgie Tovar. Virgie, whose pronouns are she, her, is an author, activist, and one of the nation's leading experts and lecturers on weight-based discrimination and body image. She is the author of You Have a Right to Remain Fat, 
and the Self-Love Revolution, Radical Body Positivity for Girls of Color, as well as a forthcoming book in 2022 titled Body Positive Journal. She is the host of the podcast Rebel Eaters Club, and she is the founder of Body Positive University, a one-stop virtual campus for transformative, comprehensive, and fun body positive education. Virgie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to um, bring you to our Just Break Up audience, many of whom I know are already huge appreciators of your work. And I, um, I'm i so thrilled to have this conversation with you today with Sam for so many reasons. But uh, honestly, the thing that comes to the forefront as, of my mind is the number one thing that I appreciate about your work Um You are by far, I think, the most intersectional body positive educator out there. Um, And that might be my limited scope. (laughs) But I it is something that Sam and I strive to 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 be in our work, um, to to recognize that there are so many interwoven threads, interlocking systems of oppression and that influence who we are and and our relationships to ourselves and to others. And you do such an eloquent, empowering and like you said, like fun. Your work is just so accessible and um, intersectional. I'm just, I couldn't be a bigger fan of your voice and and the resources that you're putting out there in the world. Mm, thank you so much. You're welcome. I just wanted to like shower you in compliments <laughs> in the beginning <laughs> yes. of this episode. <laughs> so um, Virgie, echo everything that Sierra said. We're super excited that you're here and you are somebody that a lot of our listeners asked us to talk to. So we were really thrilled when you agreed to to be part of this. Um, but I'm really interested in hearing more about how you got into this work around body positivity. Um, what What's your journey and how did you, how did you get into this and what brought you to today? Yeah. Um, I, uh, well, I mean, I grew up in, I'm a, I've, I've always been fat. Um, I was a fat kid. I come from a fat family. Um, when I look at pictures of my ancestors, they look like me, you know, and I, and I just kind of want to sidebar mm-hmm. say that I think there is this cultural belief that fat people are some kind of modern anomaly. And I'm just like, no, mm. um, there have always been fat people. Uh, I have pictures of them. <laughs> I'm related to them. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, and the other thing that, that I've been thinking of, like I'm about to turn 40 and I've been noticing like they all are like, you know, a lot of the pictures of them are when they're older. I'm like, they're old fat people, which are like things that we're told yes. just can't exist. Right. <laughs> like, like, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yep. and so it, I don't know, like all, but anyway, that's a bit of a sidebar, but anyway, um, so I've always been fat and I've always lived in a culture that is really hostile and discriminatory, um, and hateful of fat people. And I was someone like a lot of us who end up, ended up in the crosshairs of that, and that history of fat hatred is so awful and gross and connected to colonialism and connected to racism and sexism and, you know, all these kinds of things that are so awful. And uh, but, you know, like when I became a victim to fat phobia at the age of five, you know, I mean, I was probably experiencing, Mm -hmm. I imagine Mm -hmm. I experienced fat phobia even before then, right? Like I'm sure my mother got pathologized for being a fat pregnant woman 
who, you know, basically like saw pregnancy as an opportunity to like eat for the first time in her life without shame after years of disordered wow. eating. Um, but I mean, I know that sure. I know that like she experienced that and I probably experienced that before I even remember. But I don't I never had that overt experience of somebody like outright just hating me because I'm fat until I was five. And and it kind of didn't stop. Like once it started, it just kept going from like kindergarten all the way until mm. I finished high school. It was like relentless. And the experience really destroyed my sense of self, my sense of curiosity, my sense of connection with the world, my sense of mm. my own anything, right? Like I just I thought I was like this horrible, awful, terrible monster. And and I think it was specifically mm. because I got the messaging that it was my fault that I was experiencing this because the whole thing was like, you're fat because you eat too much. And if you stopped eating so much, people would treat you well. And when it's kind mm-hmm. of, when it's kind of presented in that victim blaming framework, it's really difficult to not just hate yourself and feel ashamed and feel like, you know, you, you you're the one to blame and all this stuff. So that went on for a really long time. Um, I, by total happenstance ended up dating someone who, was fat positive and he didn't really identify with those words necessarily, but he was absolutely that. Um, and he really helped me feel like for the first time in my adult life, like, uh, you know, since I was a really small kid that, you know, my body was okay. And, and that my body was like sexy Mm. and beautiful and fine. Mm. Um, and, and he also didn't expect me to stay the same size, which is kind of like the silent contract, I think, in a lot of relationships that I had been in before, was that like I either have to stay For the sure. same size or I have to end up smaller. Um, yeah. So I really appreciated. I mean, it was like really revolutionary at like 24 or 25 to have this experience. And then again, a sort of another happenstance, I was in graduate school for sexuality studies. I got really interested in weight and like how weight discrimination impacted gender trajectories, um, which you know was something that I experienced. I essentially like, you know, because of fat phobia, I had a lot of gender confusion um, because I wasn't getting mm. any of the social cues uh, of like a, fe- like a, a normal sort of uh, feminine in person um like i was wow. getting a lot of masculine cues so i was like it was really it was kind of confusing like i mean i couldn't find clothing in the girl section so i just drop in the boys section and i think that was very confusing to me um the fact that boys treated me like neither like a boy or a girl like i wasn't their friend but I, they didn't want to be my boyfriend so i was like some weird in between thing um you know, mm-hmm. and so I had a lot of like confused feelings about gender and I wanted to study that and see if that was a phenomenon that other fat women, particularly fat women of color, had experienced. And it turned out that, that they had, at least the people I spoke to. Um, and that just launched me into fat activism. I sort of like really luckily came across it. Like someone heard that I was doing this research, introduced me to a bunch of people. And it was like at the point in the activism where it was very sort of viral and groundswell. Um, and uh and and my life just kind of changed after that you know like i had i had been a feminist for years by that point i had you know i was political i was a, an anti-racist right? like i was somebody who had done a lot of political work mm-hmm. already and no one no mm-hmm. one had told me that it was okay to be fat 
Um, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of mind boggling because I, I mean, when you get into the research, you realize how connected it is to race and the construction of race. You realize how connected it is to gender. Um, and so, you know, it was just so anyway, like for the first time in my life at like 30 years old, someone says it's OK for you to be fat. You do not have to restrict food and diet. And you're absolutely fine and amazing just the way that you are. Like I had a community of people saying that. And, um, and they were fat too, you know? So anyway, like the, so I basically like once that happened, I just sort of, I was like this, this, this saved my life. This revitalized me. This energizes me. This work is so complex. It's so interesting and it's so personal. Um, and I just dedicated my life to it. And I just sort of found like there was a lot of interest in the conversation. Like I was getting, booked to do speaking engagements. And I had a book, a uh, book contract before I even finished graduate school. And so I think, you know, I just mm-hmm. felt like there was a lot of hunger for the conversation. And I felt like I was just sort of there at that moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so, um, I love that your path was also inspired by research that you naturally like authentically sought after. Yeah. Um, I, I'm so for like a basic intro question to start us off. Um, how would you define um, body positivity? Um, maybe um, fat positivity, and then maybe we can talk a little bit how, about how you've seen that manifest within the context of relationships, romantic and otherwise. Yeah, I mean, so body positivity is, I mean, I think of body positivity is almost like, um, it's like a catch-all phrase that covers a lot of ground. I know. Um, so it's like a mm-hmm. spectrum, you know? And it's it, honestly, like, it, it, body positivity came, in my vocabulary, came after fat positivity. And a lot of that has to do, wow. yeah. I mean, not surprisingly, actually, it's because fat positivity really, like, body positivity as a conversation really emerged as fat positivity began to go really viral and became like, you know, Definitely. and so I, I do think chronologically it kind of even makes sense. Um, yeah. Though, I mean, to be fair, the term body positivity has been around for a minute, um, but it didn't become like a, the, it wasn't like the buzzword that it was at, you know, in the nineties when like lesbian yeah. feminists were using it, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah. so yeah. I think like, you know, that's, that's important context, but, so anyway, I think of body positivity as like a as a as sort of, you know, I think of it as the entry point phrase for anything related to critically engaging with cultural frameworks around bodies, um, which is largely based yeah. in like negativity, judgment and shame. Um, mm. And for and sure. so for there's sure. that. And, and I think specifically, I do think of body positivity as, you know, I have this model when I talk about fat phobia, which is a form of bigotry um, against higher weight people. I use a three dimensional model to help explain um, how it looks. So the first dimension is the intrapersonal, how you feel about yourself. Um, the second is interpersonal, mm-hmm. how other people treat you based on your body. And the third is institutional, like how much ease, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. not ease do you navigate society because of your body? Um, and so, like, I, I often think of body positivity as largely focused on that first question, the relate or the first dimension, that that relationship yes. to the self. Um, and so, and I think when I think about like fat activism and other movements, um, they're largely interested in the third component, the social, the societal component. 
Um, because that's where, you know, sure. the more marginalized you are, the more you're getting hit again and again and again at that third level. And I mean, I, I kind of, I want to get a little bit deeper into that for a second because I think it's it's useful to think yeah. about. So like, for example, you know, I can be, uh, like someone can be a higher weight person and have no problem with being fat. Like absolutely just thinks they're great or doesn't even think about it. It's just like, my life is fine. I am good with my body, but they can walk outside their house and just get slammed with discrimination they're going to experience like they're going to have a wage gap compared to their smaller counterparts they are going to be considered less viable as an employee they're going to be considered less you know all these things that we know from research about that that people have about higher weight people and like like conversely someone can have a very 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 negative and painful relationship to how they see themselves and go outside their house and not experience any of that Um, and so Mm -hmm. I think it's important to understand like those nuances. So anyway, um, so I think of like, so body positivity is that to me, like I I define fat positivity as like not just seeing fat people as people who deserve basic dignity, human rights and respect. Um, but also fat people as like beautiful and interesting and a unique contribution to body diversity. Um, and I, right. Mm. I think it's really important, right? Because Right. Like, I mean, and I think fat positivity is really important to me because we just don't have any of that in our culture. No. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think there is a little bit of like a, a like a labor of love where it's like, you know, no, we can't like maybe I mean, I don't want to I don't want to put put words in anybody's mouth or anything like that. But I think, you know, for me, it's like, no, I don't know that neutrality is enough when we're talking about a group of people who is who have been so acutely marginalized and who are still being acutely marginalized. I think we actually yeah. need to go into mm-hmm. like filling up the well a little bit here. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame 
and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Like, you probably know how bad it is if for fat people in the dating world for the most right. part. Um, sure. So I don't know that we need mm -hmm. to, like, super cover that because I think most people can probably intuit that or, like, have had that experience. Right. I don't know that – I right. mean, I don't necessarily, for example, know that people know – you know, just how bad it is sometimes. Um, like, I think one of the things that really strikes me when I talk to other fat people, especially like fat feminine people, is um, the, the specific ways that, uh, that fat phobia impacts them. And like one, for example, that's a little bit maybe unexpected and really painful um, is that, you know, I, I remember attending a conference and someone talked about fat phobia as sexual violence. And they were talking about mm. the specific ways in which fat phobia eroded at the sense of self and the sense of worth to such an extent that like a fat person's consent was compromised and that people would weaponize that, wow. that compromised consent. Um, and I mean, I just felt that in my body like so much when she was saying it because I, I just think about all the times, like I think about my, especially my early sexual experiences were largely based on um severe of severe sense of scarcity and the sense that I was bringing absolutely mm. nothing to the table. Um, yeah. and so I felt yeah. like I had to, you know, perform more, have fewer boundaries, say no less, you know, m make sort of compromises that didn't feel great to me. Um, because I was, totally. you know, out of, out of all kinds of things. So and I mean, there's some research that even indicates that, like, fat women um, advocate for condom usage less. Um, and, and it's, like, mm. believed that it's because mm. of some of these things. So I think there's really big implications for this. But when I think about, you know, uh, I don't know, like, the, the antidote or whatever, um, like, body positive dating or fat positive dating, um, I just have so many, like, I have so many beautiful thoughts. And I've had some really 
I've had the good fortune of being in like, I mean, I don't I think I've advocated for and looked for these kinds of relationships. And I've also had luck around it to be completely fair. Yeah. But I, you know, I just think about like qualities of these relationships are, you know, things like um they're not being body and food criticism like in the relationship. Like I remember mm-hmm. when I first, right. like mm-hmm. my first really big, the th- like when I mean, first of all, I didn't for years, I didn't think I could even have standards or set boundaries for dating. And then I eventually did. I finally, like, especially after I was introduced to fat activism, I felt empowered to start actually setting boundaries and having intentions in my dating life. Um, and so the, fir- the first really big one that fundamentally changed my dating life was I a zero tolerance around someone talking negatively about my body or how I was eating. And I found yeah. that mm. it vet so many people. And, and I think specifically the zero tolerance component where it was like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's date one, date two, date three, or date seven, it it's over. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that yeah. Sure. The interesting thing about that, perhaps not surprisingly, is that like, yeah, that person's not going to wait till date seven to fat shame you. Um, like that person is going <laughs> to sure, come. Sure. They're going to out themselves. Yes. Like it's going to be yeah. like date one or date two. They're going to, it's going to be like really overt. Um, and so that totally changed who I dated. It was just, it was so drastic. Yeah. And I mean, it makes, it makes so much sense, but it's like, I really think it just goes to show the power of boundaries. Um, and I think for yeah. me as mm. someone who has a lot of trauma from fat phobia, but also has a lot of childhood trauma, like having those really rigid rules at first really helped me. Um, I think like, you know, as we get I, for anybody who's like got a lot of trauma and, and is recovering their self-trust, it's okay to have rigid rules for as long as you need to have them. Um, And so, you know, for me, I think that was a really good rule to have rigidity around. But, you know, like, for example, I, I, I have certainly shared that information. People have been like, but I'm married and my partner, like, you know, and I, and I gained weight like in year five because I stopped dieting and now they're having all these problems. Do you want me to like zero tolerance my spouse? And I, you know, I don't like, whatever, sure. like, yeah. I'm, no, I'm right. Saying. I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I'm like, you know, I mean, every, um, I have my strong opinions about things, but I mean, I don't, I, I think what's hard is like, how do you not discard human beings but also yeah. like demand mm-hmm. respect and humanity um yeah. so it's yeah. a, it's a it's a it's a delicate line or whatever but that was a big one for me um now i mean this is actually in my current relationship and it really upped the standard for me and, and sort of transformed me um is I, my partner now is like he never ever 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 comments on anybody's body and it was, it's like this mm-hmm. other people's yes, bodies. Yes. Other people's yeah. bodies mm-hmm. at all. And it's like, it's this, like, I've been thinking of it as a sacred silence that we mm-hmm. don't have in our culture. Mm-hmm. Like there is so much, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like unnecessary, hurtful, damaging chatter that I don't even think like, I mean, literally, I think some of the food and body chatter, if you recorded somebody saying this stuff, they're, I don't think they would even remember having said it. Like, it's just so ubiquitous right. that we would just comment sure. on yeah. everything all the time. So like when he, I, that, that for me, like the silence was just so 
beautiful. And, and it was, and it was so medicinal for me to be in a partnership with someone who just refused to engage with other people in that way. And, and so I think for me, it's like yeah. looking for that quality in partnerships or teaching yourself or, you know, teaching your partner that, I mean, cause I, I believe like, I believe we can teach our partners these things. Like obviously not everyone, some people are going to resist and hold on to their, garbage but like if you know i think a lot of people are really flexible and are willing to say like yeah actually i can get rid of that practice that's a big one um i think another thing another big one for me and i'm speaking very subjectively just like in terms of what felt like level ups for me in the realm of like body acceptance fat, fat positivity but like going from the belief that like no one would actually ever be attracted to me, but that I could trick them into loving me with my amazing personality. Um, Letting go of that, like that trash. And just, that was really big. And I think like I, um, in that fat positive relationship I had in my mid twenties, it was like the first time that someone was like, can I watch you shower? Can I watch you take your clothes mm-hmm. off? Like you are so hot. Mm-hmm. And I just, that, I didn't think as a fat person that was accessible to me and hell yeah, it's accessible to you. Um, so I just want to like <laughs> yeah. make, make that really clear. Like it, you know, it's okay. And for me, I, once I had that, I was like, I'm never going back to like weird ambivalence that I dealt with before, like from my partners, you know? Um, right. I'm like, I'm never going back. It was so delicious. And I was just, like okay this is my new a new like new rule you have to think i'm super hot and it's like and i mean i think what's amazing is like <laughs> i love it I love yes <laughs> it's like it is totally worked like i've not ever yes. since i dated that person i'm like 39 now since i dated that person i was 24 when I, you know i have not dated anyone who doesn't think i'm totally banging so it's like it's absolutely possible um so <laughs> i think like don't totally. settle for amazing. less um, I don't know. Those, are, those sure. are just my like. Those are just my first <laughs> thoughts on that question. <laughs> I think that's perfect. You answered it perfectly too, and and it's a, it was a perfect like cross section of your work in general too. Because when I think about body positivity, especially now, I think about it as very like Instagram friendly, which is inherently right. like anti many mm. different right, bodies, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about it as something that people throw on with a hashtag. And um, so I loved your tiered, you know, yourself, how other people treat you. And then institutionally, because um, in your work and so many others, I know when we're talking about body positivity and fat fat positivity specifically, we're talking about not just saying, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to love my body now. It's about like (laughs) radically questioning or critically examining why we were taught to not love those bodies in the first place or, or whatever. Yes. So you answered mm-hmm. that perfectly to me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so I recently attended one of your seminars at your, at your, on your, um, virtual body positivity university on, um, I think it was body positive dating and relationships. Um, and in it, you discuss something that I had never heard of, which I don't think is technically yours. So you can credit it, but I'd love for you to explain what you called the dating industrial complex, because I found that fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. So the dating industrial complex is, it is a borrowed phrase. Um, it's from, the book, it's like 10 years old. It's from the book um, Outdated, Why Dating is Ruining Your Love Life. Um, it was written. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was written by Sam Pita, who was like was until recently the editor at Teen Vogue. 
Um, and it's so funny because wow. she is oh, cool. so ashamed of this book. Like she is like notoriously really? like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe I wrote that book. And I'm like, I feel that way about some of my older work. It just like transformed yeah. my life though. I'm like, I would never, I would flag this all day. Like if I had written this book, I yeah. would just be like wearing it as a shirt all the time. Um, so but like what I loved was so, so you like right you hear you see a, a title like this and you're like oh cool she's gonna like explain she's gonna give me the hot tips right like and then she basically mm-hmm. it's a kind of it was kind of like the most amazing bait and switch because she's like it's ruining your love life because essential and she specifically was talking primarily about straight dating but she was like you know the yeah. reason mm-hmm. that it sucks so bad is because of gender socialization and there's no way to escape the fact that like cis het mm. men have been taught to destroy your soul. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and I, <laughs> and capitalism, and yes, capitalism. a million percent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But for it was sure. like, you know, and she was like, this is all bigger than all of us. And I, I think that what I loved about it was she really, she really sort of, you know, named the elephant in the room and kind of left almost with a tone of like joyful disappointment, like, like almost like this radical hopelessness that it's like, you know, if you can somehow make this work, like kudos to you because everything is stacked Mm -hmm. against you. Um, Literally dating is like a process of, yeah, literally, I mean, to go back to what you were saying, like, Dating as we know it, um, especially straight dating, literally is romantic capitalism. Um, I mean, it's like what we do with money except with human beings. Um, And so, you know, and I anyway, it's like she called the dating industrial complex literally because because of its connection with capitalism and these various really horrible, oppressive systems that do destroy the human spirit, that do make connection very, 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 very difficult Um, and Anyway, I can go on and on singing the praises of this book, but it was just so powerful to hear like someone because I think there is this and I know you know this. There is this kind of victim blaming rhetoric that's in a lot of dating literature and stuff where it's yes. like you can just smile mm. your way through this. You can just pheromone your way into this. Right. You Here's the secret. Like, and if you don't, if you don't have this thing, it's like that you have the wrong attitude. It's that maybe you're not getting out there enough. It's that maybe you're like not doing your like yeah. 10 hours a week of <laughs> totally. dating apps upkeep, you know? Right. And, and it's sure. like, I just think that's, it's, it, it ends up, I think that self-help or empowerment rhetoric like ends up becoming kind of a victim blaming narrative when i just feel like this book was Mm. just like nope like was just like it's it's totally a third answer it's that like every one of us was set up to fail um and that's what's really happening Mm -hmm. it's not that you didn't smile enough it's not that you're not wearing the right like perfume or whatever (laughs) it's that it's the patriarchy you know yes exactly absolutely I love the resource that you used in that seminar that I referenced earlier, like breaking down this, in, you know, dating industrial complex, saying that we could, we live in a culture now where dating and relationships are characterized by lots of binaries, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the sense that there are good people and bad yes. people, that we conceal our needs. There's tons of dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction and all the isms of this uh fat phobia and ableism and ageism things like that when we could live in a 
in we if we think critically about the culture of dating and romance that we're participating in, it could be one based on connection and intuition and pleasure um, and accessibility. And I just thought that was like, it was so empowering for me to think about how things like you said, patriarchy and capitalism have affected the way I even value myself and other people and that connection with that other person and like how, mm. how, how I score it in my weird capitalistic scoring mm. brain, yes, you know, a million percent, sure. a million percent. I kind of want to share, like I'm, I'm feeling really drawn to share that like, you know, I, before fat phobia, uh, you know, obvi- I, like I said, I was introduced to fat phobia at five, but I had an active love life right. before then. And it was always like, it, you know, my right. little childhood love life, um, very innocent, very sweet. Yeah. But like, I remember how easy it was. I remember, you know, I remember how easy connection was and it wasn't about it was about seeing someone sparkle and it wasn't hard. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember just being mm-hmm. like, I like you and the people who liked me. The people who I liked liked me back. And it's like we, we sort of have, yeah. I mean, there there is something really beautiful about, and, and going back to that list, right? Like another one that's on it is ease. Like, you know, there, like that's another mm-hmm. thing that like capitalism does not believe in or does or, or th- actively destroys is like the human, the, like the reality that a lot of human interactions can be preeminated by ease. Um, and so I think about like ease is the biggest word I think of when I think about connection before fat phobia. And then after fat phobia, um, I basically, um, you know, was getting like my crushes were my abusers and, um, Mm. you know, and so, and I, I just found that like the very people who were abusing me, like became the people whose approval I began to seek and, you know, and so, and oh then as an adult. And that's the complex. Yes. Oh my 100%. God. Oh, yes. it's my just like, I want just... that to sink in just a little bit. Cause like, yes. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to that because I mean, we're, we're, I mean, unfortunately, right. When we think about patriarchy, capitalism, all these, all of these different systems, they are teaching us to valorize and desire aggregators of power who are not coincidentally typically oh abusers God. right um For sure. so it, it's like all it's it's just in, it's i think what's really sick and kind of extraordinary about it is like how it all gets wired through our desire and our genitals and stuff like that like i'm just like mm-hmm. i don't know how all that happens <laughs> but it's pretty complicated yeah. um uh-huh. but like anyway so i just i i remember think you know i remember realizing like Oh, right. Like when, so all of that experience of like growing up and losing my connection to ease and intuition and, you know, all this stuff and and desiring abusers. So when I became an adult and started dating and that same feeling of someone gaslighting me and making me feel like trash, that didn't set off any alarms, right? Because like wow. that, that had been mapped onto my brain and my desire map as normal, and so, and I think this is wow. what happened. This is what For rape sure. culture is. This is, you know, this is like what all the, you know, it's like, it's just really, so it took a long time to build those alarms or reconnect to those alarm systems. It took a long time to reconnect to my internal alarm system. And it, it, it's fascinating because once I was able to reconnect to that, I started to, all of the markers that I saw as 
the signs that someone was a quote unquote high quality mate became red flags. Mm. Um, like I was like, are you posing with like a TEDx looking situation? Like on your dating profile, are you wearing a Madonna <laughs> mic with like some kind of a weird deck behind you? I like, I've been socialized <laughs> to believe that that makes you a high quality mate, but like, actually that's a red flag. <laughs> you know, sure. I'm not saying it's that doing sure. TED talks is a red flag, but like posting that as one of your, like you have five images to share a story about yourself. And if that's one of them, I'm like red flag. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, especially again, I'm de- <laughs> just coming from somebody who's done a TEDx. Yeah, no, I have. So yeah. I love. I have 100%. And I, I have to say, <laughs> so, okay, so I'm calling myself, you know, but I love that you're like, I recognize that I wouldn't even do that. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't do that. And right. I think also, to be fair, if you're a cis het man and you're, especially if you're a white man, it's a definite red flag. Like, I'm like, I'm cool with other folks. Like, if you're, like, marginalized and you, like, worked it out to, like, become legible to a system and you're getting yours, I'm here for it. <laughs> like, if you, but if you're, like, a white cis hat man, I'm like, red flag. Um, you know? For sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I love this whole conversation because I think um, everything that you're saying about sort of that disconnect to intuition is something that I think that we see our readers struggle a lot mm. with, particularly in dating, yeah. um, because of the systems that you're talking about too. And I think also like this advent of online dating as well has created this like commodification of connection yeah. that like people just don't like our brains cannot literally wrap our heads around the idea of how do I make connections in split second decisions about whether or not to swipe swipe left or swipe Mm. right? And like, this is now what dating and connection is, is like, is that type of thing. So I'm curious about how you felt or how you feel like you are getting better connected to that intuition. Like, what are some of the things that you are doing to, to, to push back against these systems that are asking us to really disconnect from ourselves and disconnect from others in such an intense way. Like what are, how are you getting back into intuition? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about this and um, I, I work with people a lot on restoring intuition. I literally just um, co-designed a course called body positive tarot. That's about like using the tarot to reconnect to our intuition as part of recovery from like diet culture and disordered eating. And like, mm. there's an activity, there's sort of like a, an assignment within the course that, you know, for someone who feels like there's a lot of people who believe this myth that they just don't have that inner voice, that it just isn't there or it's so quiet yeah. and they're never going to be able to restore it. For sure. And that's not true. Like that information is always going to be there. It always has been there and you do have access to it. And I, and I think, you know, what's important is to start. It's, it's a like, if you feel that way, it's important to start with low stakes, gradual things. And so let, let me, let me like be like more specific. So, um, if you feel yeah. like if someone feels like they have, they feel really disconnected from their intuition, their instinct might be to ask the biggest questions first. Like, you know, should I end this relationship? <laughs> sure. Should I stay in this career? What am I doing with my life? Right. And, and, you know, if, if your intuition is feeling kind of suppressed, don't start with those questions because it's going to lead to frustration. Mm. Actually start with very low stakes questions. Like, why did I pick these jeans today and not those? Or why did I pick this sure. flavor of like soda versus that, or this type of ice cream over that? And like, actually 
take these low stake situations where decision making is happening and treat them almost like not not a crime scene in a bad way, but like sort of a mystery. It's like, well, how how yeah. did I know? that I wanted to wear this and not that today. What was it about? Was it the weather? Was it just a mood? Did I know mm. that I was going to be sitting a lot and these are easier to sit in? Or do, do I love the color? Or and, and like all of those things become information. Then the next question, it's like, what did my body do that helped me understand that I wanted that? Like, did my mouth water a little? Did I smile? Mm. Was there a feeling in my fingers or maybe my toes or maybe my chest or maybe my stomach? Um, and until so you, you mm. kind of, I think what's great is you can stay at that really low stakes level of decision making for as long as you need to. And once that starts to feel easy, then you can move on to like the next level, right? Which might be like slightly higher stakes um, things. Sure. Um, and then, you know, after you've practiced that, you kind of keep going, right? And and you'll find that it's not actually that difficult um, over time, you know, to, to actually connect. All of that is information. Um, and it just kind of, I mean, I literally just like today wrote an article about, um, you know, rituals for fall and like how we can take mundane tasks and chores as an opportunity to learn information about ourselves. Like even, even mm. if you're like, okay, I hate, like, for example, if you're like, I hate cleaning, I don't even want to talk. I don't even want a chore to be a ritual. It's like, well, how do you know you sure. hate it? Why do you hate it? Like, like all these kinds of things. Like, and it not, not to say like, mm. not to, not to gaslight yourself, but to be like, how do I know that I hate this? Like, where is that feeling yeah. living? Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to do it, but it's like, take that opportunity to be like, what is this feeling that I have that lets me know that? And then, you know, and then I think, right, like when we, when we take it into the context of dating and relating, we can begin to connect to like, this doesn't actually feel good. Um, and I think what's really hard is right. a lot of us are so gaslit that we can't access that feeling or we're, we're, we're experiencing that this doesn't feel good as a sign that you should keep going, you know? Wow. Yeah, no, that, that's so interesting. And I love that idea of, of slowing down and checking in with our patterns of behavior, yes. both in a way to say like, look at how I am making intentional or unintentional decisions that actually serve me really well on a regular yes. basis. And what are the patterns that aren't serving me well too? Like, what are the patterns that are, that are so deeply ingrained that I can say, wait, where did I learn that yes. from? Yeah. Who, like who taught me that? Yes. Right. And can be like, I know that I learned this somewhere. And so yeah. I know that I can unlearn it. I can decide not to do that anymore. 100%. And I just love that idea that we are like, we have so much more autonomy over ourselves and how we experience each other and the world than we give ourselves credit for. And I think mm -hmm. that it's beautiful to, to really lean into that and recognize that like we are actors with choices in so many of the things that we do and we can make better choices for ourselves yeah. and for other people. Yes. And I, I just, I just, I love that. I'm clapping. Um, I, I, I have to share like this thing. Um, a friend of mine named, um, Julian like taught me that I, it's just so beautiful. They were like, um, radical honesty is such an, a powerful tool. Like just being able to sort of say, like, mm. for example, 
Like I was going through a really hard time with date, dating patterning. And what they encouraged me to do was to be like, today I am choosing to date a narcissist who treats me like a sexual servant. And I accept that, <laughs> um, you know, instead of being like, this is fine. This is fine. Right. This is fine. Um, I love that. I yes, love it. I just be like, I radically accept the person in me who wants to be with this narcissist to treat me like a sexual servant. And, and it was so wow. powerful. <laughs> Just like every day being like, yes. today I choose this. I choose this today. And it was like such, it was so mm. transformative to just, and, and you'd think, because right, I think we're so preoccupied with sort of hiding the truth from ourselves. And I think when we think of radical honesty in a relationship context, we're often thinking about it, doing that with another person, like reading a person or whatever. But like, we don't, I think we can do that with ourselves. And I can't tell you like how extraordinary it was to just sort of radically accept myself and the totality of the truth um, because it, it opened up, it opened up like that, that possibility for inquiry. It opened up that possibility for Mm. observation and analysis, right? Because I think at a certain point, you know, day 50, when you're like, today I choose to be with a narcissist oh my god i want to read that like survivor's journal like day 50 i am yeah, choosing this again sure. yep every day i'm choosing for Fuck. the 50th time that is so funny <laughs> Okay, so totally uh, like off topic um, question, but (laughs) sort of on topic. What are your thoughts on being um, not high maintenance? Yeah, I mean, I just had this great conversation with a disability rights activist um, named Alex, um, and they're at Glam Beauty, Glam Beauty on uh, on Instagram. Um, Oh my god. That I love that. Yes, it's so good. That's such a great yes. name. And so we had this great conversation. Um, it's actually published on Body Positive University, but I feel I feel like they did such a good job of of unpacking the myth of high maintenance um, and how it's just poop garbage trash. I I just love that. I just love like <laughs> I'm like high maintenance is. I mean, really, right? Like the. Honestly, what's what's so interesting and ironic is the person who demands that someone not be high maintenance is themselves high maintenance because the labor that's required to not the, the labor that's required to act like you have no needs as a human being is massive. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just, I think it's, it's oh so God. funny yeah. how it's like a yep. feedback loop. It's like, no, there's no one. No one is even the person who is demanding that of another person is in fact, perhaps the most high maintenance of us all. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. So I think yep. like there's that. And, and I feel like I really want to give props to Alex because I feel like they, they did such a great job. They do such a great job of kind of talking about that. They're like, so, you know, Specifically, they're like, okay, as someone with a disability, um, there are certain things that I can and can't do. So, for example, this concept, this like romanticized idea of spontaneity as a disabled person doesn't work for Mm. me. I need to know how am Mm. I going to get there? What are the public transportation lines that get there? I can't walk around magically in the rain for hours on end because I have, you know, it's like I just can't do that. Um, 
And I thought that it was so incredible, you know, and, and they specifically also sort of talk about how it's like, you don't have to be a disabled person to have a need, obviously. Um, they were For like, sure. you know, you, you right. don't have to be someone who gets overstimulated very easily to want to have a date in a quiet place, not at a bar. You don't have, and, and I think when right. it comes to being a, like a fat person, um, you know, like this idea of chill, low maintenance, whatever, like, well, if I need to know about the dimensions of the seating and I need to know whether I'm going to get side eyed and I need to know if I can sit on, like if there's only bar seating and I'm going to have to be like balancing perched on the edge of a stool that's like minimalist and gorgeous, right. but is exceedingly uncomfortable. Like I need to know all of those <laughs> things beforehand, <laughs> you know? And so, um, and, and yeah. I think like, so, so I, I, right. Like, who does high maintenance just off the bat sort of real like like leave out right but like specifically i think it yeah. leaves out everybody but like certainly if you're someone who whose body has not been considered in the structures of our society that's going to be a real right. issue right and so i mean but anyway I, I think another thing that i love that they they talk about is like you know the how um there's sort of a sense that this this premise or this lie of of low the low maintenance the chill person the person with no needs or whatever basically it sets it up for a bait and switch so as needs mm. become inevitably become visible the longer you're with someone you feel like they lied that they betrayed you mm. that they aren't the same person mm. that they said they were and then all of a sudden now you've got an accusation sort of being thrown around about lying right um yeah. when in actuality that person is just trying to often i mean i'm not trying to blanket forgive everybody for for fibbing about everything um, <laughs> but you know sure. when it comes to that that sense of mate like high maintenance or whatever right um essentially that that moment is it's inevitably going to become clear that yes you are dating a human being with traumas and needs <laughs> right. and they poop and they need food, right? Like it's just like all these quote uh -huh. unquote inconvenient things about being a person. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. then be sure. and, I, and I just think that it really goes back to this capitalist ableist framework of like, you know, and, and I think of it, right. Like some, I, I use the phrase like social Darwinism. It's like, you know, it, it's sort of a version of that where it's like, instead of this, only the strong will survive. Only the, those without needs will survive, which is, who oh is God, that? that is who it. is that person? Nobody. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just kind of, I mean, and again, going back to Alex, one of the things I love is they're like, what if instead of, I have no needs. I'm chill. Whatever works. Instead of that being considered romantic, what if like sweet talk was, how can I take care of you? What do you need right now? Mm. How can I make sure that you feel safe? Like, it's like, why isn't that? And, and I think I love that when they said that, because like how, that is, that is so beautiful and sweet. Like to me, that is like romantic. That is kind. That is caring. Yeah. The demand that you have no trauma, no needs, like nothing, right? Like you're just kind of a blank slate upon which I can put all of my expectations. Um, it's just so anti-humanitarian right. and it's so anti-intimacy, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Well, and it like, it evokes a deep empathy in me too, mm. right? Because like, if we're asking others to not have needs, yes. like it must mean that we're just so disconnected from our own yes. needs too, mm. right? Like that's, that has to be it. And like, that's a deep wound to be carrying around 
to not know what you need and mm-hmm. also to like inflict that on other people yeah. over and over again by demanding that they not know what they need. It's just like, it's amazing to me sometimes how how deeply wounded so many of us yes. are and the ways in which we inflict that wound onto other people. Like it's just, and this conversation I think is elucidating like so much of that. So so thank you for being willing to to talk about it and bringing it to yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, my pleasure. I mean, I'm, I'm also thinking, like, I think you're right. And I think in addition to that, I'm specifically thinking about how systems invisibilize the needs of certain people and, the, and it hyper magnifies mm-hmm. the needs of others, right? Like a disabled person's sure. needs are magnified and up for scrutiny and whatnot. But like similar to, I mean, like, right, like I, I, I think of the analogy of like another myth of like the self-made man where it's like, you know, or this self-made person who actually has a trust fund or something like that. And it's like, actually, no, you (laughs) are absolutely like relying on the person who prepares your food, the person who lays the roads, the person who made your vehicle. Right. And so it's like, but those mm-hmm. things get invisibilized because, right, like we're supposed to believe in this mythology of this person who, by just sheer will alone, can create this incredible fortune. And and I, I think similarly, mm. right, like the needs of straight people, the needs of cisgender people, the needs of like cishet men, right? Like these are needs that get invisibilized and then the needs of everyone else is our actual needs, right? Um, So I just, I think there's sure. something to be said about the, the labor that the structures do to sort of obscure the needs of some and then overemphasize the needs of others. Yeah. And the ways in which we tell ourselves the lie around the fact that we don't have needs because our needs are already yes, met in yes, so many ways. A million percent. Right. Like the idea of like, yeah, like I'm a self-made man, but I don't know how this computer works. Yes. Like somebody else does. They did it yes. for me. Right. Like it's just such a good point. So thank you for thank you for sharing that yeah. as well. Um I have another question that's sort of like off topic, but we're we're like talking about so many different things, all of the intersections, and I I love it so much. But one of the things that you have said is that you um, have a rule that you swipe left on people who are signaling some sort of class privilege. And I am so curious about that and want to know um, what that means to you and why you made that decision. Oh, I mean, this is so big, right? This is such a huge, this is like its own novel tome, whatever, <laughs> For sure, you know? yeah. but, um, but, you know, so like most straight women, I was socialized to sort partner viability through class. Um, and specifically mm. through education, which sort of ends up being a bit of a um, interchangeable element kind of with class. And I mean, it, it's really it's really interesting. I had this total lightning. Bo- so for years I did that. I was like, oh, a high quality mate is a person who has my educational level or higher, um, which mm. is its own pile of garbage but again we've all been like maybe not all of us but like certainly straight women have been socialized to do that and so um anyway uh and i you know and i 
kept at it, even though it felt like garbage. I felt like certainly every time I partnered with someone like that, I felt like they saw me as their inferior. I felt like they saw me as someone who mm. was um, like, I mean, there, there was just a lot of condescension built into um, mm. into the partnerships that came from that kind of strat- strategizing. Um, and, you know, it's so funny, right? Because like all of them were completely hot for my bod. So I still had that rule. But um, but like meanwhile, we're maybe being like sexist dirtbags, uh, like in other ways that I kind of like sure. hadn't quite, you know, created rules or boundaries around. So anyway, I kept doing it, kept going at it. Um, I didn't like it. I would consistently feel gaslit and all these kinds of things. Um, and then I had a lightning bolt moment when I found out when I basically like learned the research that um, straight men get advanced degrees for radically different reasons than women do. Um, Mm. And so straight men tend to get advanced degrees for money and status and career advancement. And women across the board tend to get um, advanced degrees to change the world. Um, At least is like the reported data. So I'm like, oh my God, I've been aggregating partners based on a literal value and compatibility if the data are correct, (laughs) (laughs) which is like a total, like, it's just like, that's just a terrible practice, right? Like literally if I was like, yeah, the best thing to do is to find someone who does not align with your values and go for them, Um, (laughs) you know? And so I mean like, Right. And then I think it just all once I once I once I read that data, I was like, oh, my God, of course, my partner, Mm. if I am looking for a partner based on their educational thing, educational status, their educational status is ultimately about maintaining the systems that right, like people Mm. like people who strategize who like basically people who get advanced degrees for the purpose of career ascendancy, like exclusively or perhaps primarily, um, they're like, for the most part, people who um, want to continue to like, they're accessing that system so that they can maintain the privileges and resources that that system gives them. Um, And so I just sort of was like, wow, like I, I want to use and I am using my higher education to like smash the patriarchy, right? Like that's what I want to do. Mm. I'm never going to find a collaborator um, as a partner who is trying to maintain that system so they can keep the powers and resources that were given to them by that system. So it was just like, whoa, right? And that was once I – understood that I was like oh my god I need to radically change what I am looking for and that goes back to what I was saying about how all the things that I was seeing before as signs of a quote-unquote high quality partner which is such a like weird coded shitty phrase um for sure I mean I'm like I kind of like on the one hand I'm like I I have sort of a pure and innocent concept of like, you know, what that could mean to some people. But I also know it's loaded like America for Americans. I'm like, I know what that means. Mm -hmm. And I know what high quality partner (laughs) means, you know? Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, but like, you know, so so once I like that information kind of settled in and I like allowed it to change, like I because there is a grief involved in accepting that a strategy you've been working mm. for most of your life isn't working and that you're going to have to let go of this for idea sure, of aggregating sure. like yep. capital and shit with another person. Um, 
it's painful. So you have to kind of like lay that to the ground, like just bury it, have a ritual, whatever you need to do, girl, like just do it. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so after I was like, after I internalized information, grieved, whatever, I started, the world just started to look different. And I actually changed my, Mm. I changed um, my like criteria or criterion for, uh, for partnership from education to, sense of comfort, sense of ease. Um, mm. And once mm. that happened, it just like, it completely changed the game again for me. Like once I started to seek comfort, um, I started to find like, of course I grew up working class, right? Like, so a lot of the codes and a lot of the stuff that comes from my childhood, um, that's totally just second nature to me. Um, I'm going to have the best chance of having really high levels of intimacy with someone who has a similar background to me. If I had grown up super wealthy, I'd probably have the Mm. same, I would have the same affinity towards someone who has the same background just because of like, you know, because of, of like that kind of wiring that happens when you're a kid. Um, and so I started to Basically, like I kind of took a break from just I was like, I'm not dating. I'm not dating like six figure dudes. I'm not trying to date them. I'm like and I'm I'm running as far as I can and swiping left on anybody who's trying to signal that visually to people. And I sort of found there was like Hmm. very typical deck that would happen on like these apps where it's like, again, the Madonna mic with the TED Talk esque TED Talk adjacent look that usually like some athleticism was involved like like yeah scaling a mountain or something like that um uh-huh. there's usually another thing is ex- proximity to an expensive meal um mm-hmm. usually like travel that is like pretty pricey um and i'm trying mm-hmm. to think of a fifth one i don't know if there's a fifth one but those were like the ones that kept cycling through and i was like oh these are yeah. the, these are the symbols that you're using to convey a particular kind of thing um and i was like i'm just not going to date anybody i'm going to just take a break from trying to date that um and i'm going to just do what feels fun and good and comfortable and not too long after that i like met my current partner who i've just never felt more comfortable with I don't think anyone in my life. And it was like, and it's like, yeah, it turns out that when you prioritize comfort, you're in a good position to get more comfort. You know? Oh my God. That's That's awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) That is so funny. Something I'm hearing, like just as like an undercurrent to all of your answers is this radical permission that you're giving yourself. Mm. Um, and this is not really a question, more just like a comment um, as we get into our final wrap-up questions that um, I've heard, I hear again and again in the core of your answers, like that it's okay to ask. It's okay to prioritize comfort. It's okay to f- to accept pleasure. It's okay to listen to that inner voice in you. Um, and it's okay to radically reject these, uh, the conditioning, this, um, the script that we've been given about what bodies and what people we are valuing and listening mm. to. Um, so thanks for giving mm. us all permission in this interview. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, we, uh, wrap up our interviews by asking our interviewees three questions. First, what is a piece of relationship advice that you used to believe that you no longer believe or no longer find helpful or applicable in your life? Uh, I mean, okay. So like I, 
I will say for a long time, I believed like people don't change. Um, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of us have been told. And I mean, I don't want to throw out the entire, I mean, there's wisdom to that. Um, I don't, I don't want to completely discard it, but I think that I had it as sort of like a really like a cardinal rule. Um, right. and I think for me, mm-hmm. it went against everything that I had personally experienced in my own life, like specifically with myself. Right. I'm like, I have radically changed. Like, uh, yes, healing yes. is possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, and I'm just like, you know, I think for me, it's like, well, like my value, like I have one of my values is healing. And one of my values is like accountability, you know, like and things that are about the human capacity to be dynamic. And I just I just refuse yes. to live in a mm-hmm. world where I believe that like whatever you were socialized to be, you know, when you were seven years old is who you will remain. Um, and I understand that the rule is there mm-hmm. to sort of protect people. And I, I mean, I think like take take it with a grain of salt. But like for me, I'm like, I can't keep enacting this rule when I know on a for on a firsthand basis, you know, that I don't want to be held to that standard. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think I think that's I think that's the one I'm thinking of. That's powerful. Yeah, that's so great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, We also, every episode, we do a blind date on our podcast, which is when we recommend something that we think that our listeners are really going to like. So this week, we want you to do the blind date. So this week, our blind date is going to be... Crime Scene Kitchen. It is... (laughs) It is a show... I am intrigued. Yes! Okay, so it's like, it's like hosted by Joel McHale from Community. And and, um, and it's it's basically like... So a bunch of teams of people, there's a bunch of clues and teams have to Oh my God, figure I'm Googling out, it right now. Yes, they have to figure <laughs> out what the pastry is from the clues in the crime scene <gasps> kitchen and then make it. Amazing. It's pretty fun. If you That is so wholesome. I know. It's hurting I know. Heart. I know. It's like the true crime. If you like are a true crime and a food show person, which I'm like at the intersections of both, it's like so yes. good. <laughs> That is oh, so that. charming. That is so charming. <laughs> so good. Um, okay, and finally, Virgie, where can people find you? Because I definitely think they should find you. Um, and how can they best support you? Yeah, I mean, I am most active on Instagram at Virgie Tovar. Um, please subscribe to my podcast, Rebel Eaters Club. We're getting into like we're, we're in pre-production for season three right now it's gonna be really good um and then my new book is coming out the body positive journal and then finally like i would love it if you subscribe to my newsletter body positive university um you can find it uh through the link in my bio on instagram or it's um body positive university dot dot com awesome well i I thank you so much for being here with us for your vulnerability today and in your work. Um, I know you must hear this a lot, but you're obviously like radically shifting the grounds on which a lot of us stand and, and didn't consensually stand on, I should say. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm just so grateful. I know Sam and I uh, deeply appreciated this conversation. Um, and to our listeners... If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to stay tuned for more Head & Heart Work conversations every two weeks on our primary feed, anywhere where you can get your podcasts. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>